This is Dr. Holly Lucille's Mindful Medicine. Here's Dr. Holly Lucille. Hi, folks. Thank you so much for spending part of your day with us here at Mindful Medicine. You know, we've been talking a lot um, in episodes about food, about eating. And I think in our modern day, it's so important. You know, uh, in my intake form for initial visit um, and also for follow-ups, but the robust initial visit paperwork, I have a huge section on food because food and diet is, of course, foundational to health. It also can be, I think, um, you know, causative or curative, meaning uh, the things that we're eating can uh, do damage and harm and contribute to clinical conditions and, and our, our sense of wellness, et cetera. And then also we can also use food as medicine. But one of the things that I also ask in that section, besides getting an idea of how people eat, how they nourish themselves, is what their relationship is with food. Because I think food is a lot in our society. You know, I... Um, I often look up words when I'm when I'm really wanting to get down to, hey, what does this mean? Even the simplest of words. And I looked up the word diet one day and uh, it really made a difference for me because if you look up the word diet, it actually means habitual nourishment. Like how as a habit do you nourish yourself? But in our society, I think that food is a lot. I think that food can be celebrated. You know, celebratory. It can be used as a drug. It can be used as comfort. It is so much. There's ceremonies around it. There's spirituality around it. And so today we're going to be talking actually about attuned eating. I've got a lovely guest, Tracy Brown. She's a registered dietitian and a therapist, a somatic nutrition therapist. And she's interested in talking about mm. um, practical tools to help you with your relationship with food, with your body, with movement, and with how bodies deal with life stressors to become uh, really a doorway to healing and so much more. So I'm really excited about this episode, all about mindful medicine here and attuned eating. Tracy, thanks for being here. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. And you, you listed it. There are so many different ways that we use food. And um, in our culture, we've gotten a lot of We've got a lot of it mixed up into, you know, what is supportive, what is not supportive. And I hope today we can clarify, um, you know, to let go of some of the judgment around that, but also know yeah. how, like you said, be more attuned to, the, to the, the how come of our eating. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And I, I'm going to really appreciate this conversation because one of the reasons um, that I asked that about folks like, hey, what's your relationship been with food is because... I think with my education and with my experience now in practice over almost 20 years, from a food perspective, from a foundational perspective, I think that I can use food as medicine, easy peasy, no matter what I'm facing with somebody as far as their clinical condition, and I can increase outcomes. No, on paper, not a, it's like, got it, I got it. You know what? That's my wheelhouse. However, I think it's so much more complicated than that. It's not about like me just prescribing some diet or um, making suggestions. There's so much emotional factors, I think, that go into how we nourish ourselves or actually how we perpetrate ourselves with food that I think has to at least be part of the discussion because that's the key when you're treating the whole person. That's right. That's right. And I think those relationships start early, whether we have a value judging system already in our minds or our bodies around food, or if we've come to food as something, you know, morally neutral. And it's almost like it's easier to make changes with your food when you can start from this morally neutral place, if that makes sense. 
Um, but sure, a lot so of times if you, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to back up, you know, let's just back up and, and talk about, let's just define what you're talking about. This attuned eating, like, what is it? How does yeah. it, uh, how does it help people with their relationships with food and weight? Um, because I know we're going to get into the nitty gritty of it, but let's just define it. Yeah. So attuned eating, some people call it intuitive eating or attuned eating. It's actually a kid in this culture, a little bit um, unintuitive because we feel like we have to manage everything, but really this is this fancy language for eating from hunger and fullness and factoring in a little bit of gentle nutrition as well. I call it supportive eating um, and a little bit of you know, appetite and pleasure and sometimes eating the best of what we have because of resources or circumstances or whatever. So it takes into account all those things. And of course, like you said in your intro uh, is our, our past relationship, whether it's celebration or culture or whatever. So you roll all of that together essentially. And that's tuned eating. But the, the nutshell of it is, can I listen to my body signals? So it's less, head-based and definitely more like learning to eat from the, the neck down. Got it. Yeah, that's great. And so, <clears throat> so yeah, attuned eating isn't a free-for-all, right? Uh, but people... Right. Not at all. Like, yeah. 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 Tell me more about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of people get worried about that. They'll talk to me, well, I hear you say full permission to eat and I can eat what, what I need to or what I want. And I do caution. It's not a free-for-all. Because our body doesn't want to eat too much of any one thing. Now, I caution people if they've had 1, 10, 20, 50 years of being on very restrictive kinds of eating, they might have a pendulum swing for a while. Of like, I just kind of need to eat the bagels whenever I feel right. like it until they're not right. special anymore. But that, that's always a short period of time. But I think that, you know, if you've ever had a restrictive period, you're going to have a rebound. That's just biologically sometimes how it works. But for most people who come... And ask me, what does this mean? It's like, the body is very wise. It doesn't want you to be eating gummy bears every day, all day long, if you're listening. Sure. So how do you get people to get to that place? Because I think that it makes sense. And you're right. The body, I think, is brilliant. And it's going to let you know um, so many things if you're paying attention. And I also think that you're right about the rebound. Um, I always have seen this in all areas of life that if you are out of balance in one way or restrictive, as you say, when it comes to diets and food, mm -hmm. um, you're bound to whip back the far other way mm -hmm. before you get a chance to come back into the middle. And I think the middle is always there waiting for us, but it is somewhat of a seesaw early on in the process. And I think that can set people up for failure. But I guess my biggest question to you, Tracy, is how can you help people actually start paying attention to these subtle clues because when we're paying attention, boy, there's so much information out there, but we are otherwise occupied as far as I can see. Mm -hmm. That's sometimes that's the hardest part for people is learning how to slow down in their day just to ask those questions of, you know, how am I doing and what do I need and how hungry? And so some very tangible things I have people doing is, you know, I use a hunger and fullness scale. You know, it's like a zero to 10 scale of, trying to take something very personal and kind of subjective and, and have a, some guideposts to make it more objective, um, as well as getting feedback of, okay, I ate this and I was this hungry and I was this, I got this fullness level and separating out what is like physical, physical hunger and fullness cues and what maybe our emotional hunger and fullness 
um, markers or what is some of your belief system around your food that might be impacting how you behave with food. So, I mean, that's actually what it looks like. That's the process. And for some people, it's, um, for them, it's you know, slowing down every hour to check in more. Sometimes it's making sure they just kind of set some kind of marker of let's make sure I don't go too many hours without eating because some people feel like that I can't control my eating at night. What's wrong with me? And I look at their food and it's like, well, you're not eating much of anything at breakfast and there's hardly any lunch. And of course, biologically, you've got a deficit now that the drum is beating for food. And so it's not that you're emotional and a control eater. You're just in deprivation now. Um, so sometimes it's doing practical steps to work our way backwards to even out the food. Um, there's all kinds of, I'm trying to give some really practical things, but there's a level of being able to separate out and slow down to just check in, like what's physical, what's emotional, what's our our um, belief system around eating and weight and food that's, that's the old dominant running the show, and how can we bring a more supportive system in place. More with Dr. Holly Lucille coming up, but first I want to tell you about Anxiocom from Terry Naturally Vitamins. Terry Naturally specializes in bringing European-tested, unique natural medicines and proprietary custom formulations to the American consumer. So let me ask you this. Do you feel overwhelmed and anxious from time to time? I know it. We all do, but I've got something you're going to like. It's called Anxiocom, a supplement from Terry Naturally Vitamins. Anxiocom is clinically studied to quiet your nerves and relieve your occasional anxiety. It enhances restful sleep, promotes mental health, and emotional well-being. It's perfect for everyday use or occasionally when you need extra support. Anxiocom is non-drowsy, non-addictive, and safe. It provides relief when you need it without drowsiness or mental fogginess. So go to TerryNaturallyVitamins.com and enter promo code STRESS to get $7 off your box of Anxiocom. That's TerryNaturallyVitamins.com and enter promo code STRESS to get $7 off your box of Anxiocom. And the Dr. Holly Lucille Show is brought to you by Kaya Biotics. Kaya Biotics are high-quality probiotics to improve gut health. Now, you want to feel good and live your best life, but if your gut isn't healthy or functioning properly, life can be miserable. The gut and its impact on our physical and mental health has been underestimated for years, and that's where Kaya Biotics comes in. Probiotics that are exclusively certified organic and only include organic ingredients, a complete novelty for probiotics. Plus, it's easy to get the right probiotic for your needs with three different probiotic supplements. And there's no unnecessary fillers, additives, or anti-caking agents. And Kaya Biotics are also vegan, GMO-free, and come in stomach acid-resistant late-release capsules. So try Kaya Biotics. It's a treat for your gut. Choose the right organic probiotic formula for your body and save 25% off your first purchase by using the code MINDFUL at checkout at kayabiotics.com. That's K-A-Y-A biotics.com. Once again, save 25% off your first purchase by using the code MINDFUL at checkout at kayabiotics.com. Now back to Dr. Holly Lucille in Mindful Medicine. So, 
you know, you talk about <clears throat> how um, you teach folks not only to be a supportive, intuitive eater, but help them recognize their own states of their nervous system, um, which drives these connections, right, with ourselves or others or feelings. Um, so can you just reach back into your clinical history in the past month and maybe talk about an example, mm -hmm. of course, you can leave their names blank, um, of somebody in sure. a situation that you've helped by, by doing this? This is this is um, a really really common example. So I have people who otherwise feel very competent in their lives, and they're going 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 going, and they're accomplishing a lot. Yet they're it's almost like this wired but tired feeling, and they don't recognize they're in fight or flight. And of course, then they end up getting whether it's one year or ten years down the road, like I can't get going, and I I don't have motivation for things, and what's wrong with me? Like, well, nothing's actually wrong with you. Your body just hit a wall. And so it's the same kind of process of teaching people what that, not to make this sound too fancy, what this state feels like. So learning, like, if you're feeling, like, up and buzzy in your body, you're probably, and you can't slow down and you feel all this adrenaline going, you're probably probably in the fight or flight place. If you're feeling really low and slow and can't get motivated or you're feeling kind of foggy, there's a level of, you're probably in a little bit of, like, that fight or flight didn't work anymore, now I'm kind of in functional freeze, I call it, and their bodies just can't do any more running. And so there's different strategies to help people kind of juice up their systems from that way. But I'm trying to think of something really specific, like you said, and it typically tends to be people who have been trying to do good and do everything right and be really competent for a long time, and they just feel bad. And a lot of what I'm having them do yeah. is just learn to sit and find their feet. Before you even hop out of bed, can you locate your body and do a body scan when you're in bed? Or before, when you sit in your chair, can you find your feet, find your seat underneath you, find your back? And can you relax back into just letting your back be supported? These things sound really kind of yeah. maybe silly or simple, but what you start to find is like, oh my goodness, like really underneath all that running, I did your best. And, you know, where can I find some space for that? Because once you start to give yourself more of what you need, you start to feel better. And it's not some magical, mystical um, no. health condition you have. You, your body just wants, you know, it's given you all these signs, but all this, like, maybe anxiety. It may not be that you're anxious. It's just your body is giving you signs. This is too much. You're going too fast. I need you to go at a body, my body's pace, not at what the, what the world's pace is. Right. You know, I think... <clears throat> 100%. And we've talked about this a lot in mindful medicine about, you know, we're so connected these days that unfortunately, we're quite disconnected from ourselves and I think other people. And just the simplest things, as you said, this doesn't have to be a, you know, robust 30 minute meditation or any magical mystical thing that happens. But just being able to take a pause um, and not wake up to an alarm that's on your phone and then look at your texts and look at your emails and get, you know, far off into your day way before you've even discovered who you are that morning. I think those are really great tips. Um, I remember, I think it was Jeannie Roth. Um, I, I know she's an author of several books when it comes to this topic of, of sort of more mindful eating and healing our relationship with food. But I remember back in the day, it was, oh gosh, it has to be over 25, maybe, should I say 30, 30 years ago? Um, <laughs> yeah, let's just stick to 20, let's just stick to 25. Um, I remember one of the exercises um, that I did kind of auditing a class that she had was simply eating one raisin and eating it 
really slowly and chewing it and and just experiencing that one raisin, like how sweet it was and what the texture was and, you know, how many people like, I don't know how many people eat raisins anymore or, but how, just take a handful of raisins and throw them in your mouth and you like, they're a snack and like they're on their go. But to just have the experience of being able to, my taste buds sort of woke up and uh, it was so satisfying because I did had the chance to slow down because it was an exercise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would, if you don't mind, I'd like to up the ante with that a bit. Please. Say, you also need to exercise, but do it with the food that you have some kind of fear about. So whether it's a piece of chocolate, because we often pick safe things, you know, quote unquote, things we think are nutrient dense or whatever labels of health we have on it and do something that's a little scary and then notice your body. Like it's more of like a bottom up of like you eat, let's say a piece of chocolate and maybe you have fear that chocolate makes you gain weight you eat a piece of chocolate, what you're going to notice is your body might tighten up, your heart rate, rate, heart rate might go up. You might find that, like, you're eating it, but then there's shame around it. That's the really good stuff to be like, oh, my goodness. I have all this body, nervous system-based emotion about whether it's fat or sugar or whatever it is, and that gives you really, like, a doorway in. It's like, oh, I've got to heal my relationship with fat and sugar and what it means to take in pleasure or what I feel like will happen to me if I do that, or if I can really take that in, if it's okay. Um, so I always kind of update on that, the mindful one, because, mindfulness one, because it teaches, us, oh, this is not just a mental thing, but my body has some, um, no wonder when I go to eat this food, I have a, like a, even a visceral reaction, and, my, and I need to release that charge, you know. And so um, it just gives a lot of information, too, like, oh, this is where I need to start, is this, about this. My body needs to like be feel safer to eat this, so it won't be compulsive anymore, whether restricting uh, or you know overeating. Right. That's yeah, that's great because <clears throat> I think that so many things are. It's almost like it is a compulsion. It's like people have the desire so badly to either lose weight or eat healthier, but there are these subtle things that are energetically and physiologically mm-hmm. in the way um, that are stopping them from doing that. And like you said, then there's the shame that I think piles on and then you get into that cycle of how do you get out of, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of um, how do you get out of uh, feeling awful feelings like shame as you usually, you know, you usually unfortunately embark on the behavior that got you there in the first place. And so it is this crazy vicious cycle and it's, yeah. And that's why we see so much chronic dieting. There's so much looping and there's so much looping because if there's value judgment on any one food, there's the danger of, you know, kind of giving it a lot of power and then you go to eat the food and then you create the shame and then I can't have the food and then you eat the food more shame and then we do more more and more diets to try to fix the shame versus that's the red herring. The body size is even the red herring. It's uh, what's going on with this whole food and shame loop. I mean, we've got to like uncouple that. And then once that yeah. food is more neutral, once even body size is more neutral, food can become food. We can allow our, we can hear more of what our bodies want. And then you get what you always wanted, which is just a little bit more embodiment in general. Yeah. It's so interesting because, you know, I've always been a pretty active athlete. And then I hit 50 and into menopause. And I still, like, want to look at my body as, like, this lean, you know, <laughs> this young, you know, sort of muscle machine. And there's a lot of biology. And I think sometimes a perfect storm for women, especially as we age. Yeah. 
for a little middle, you know, sort of around our middle weight gain, there's a, I think an age related loss of muscle mass, there's an age related decline in hormones, of course. And I do believe that there's an age related sort of kind of lack of, um, or I would say decrease in insulin sensitivity. So we don't process our carbohydrates as well. And, uh, it is one of those things that I think that I've been dealing with is just wanting my body to look a certain way, like it did when I was 30. And it just is almost untenable. And, but it, it gets in my way quite a bit because I, I, I'm, it's, I'm constantly thinking about it. Like, why aren't I back there? Why doesn't my image, you know, even though I'm in shape and I'm fit, it's just one of those things that goes around and around and around. And it kind of won't, you know, I have to be unlocked from it. And I have my moments where I'm like, and, you know, shows and information like this, I think are really helpful. Um, but I think that it's it's just such an important topic, uh, both with the judgments and the shame around food and also our body images. Yeah, I think that these um, these transition periods in life are in general times where we're going to go through some unwinding of where am I again and who am I again? <laughs> and oftentimes it, it comes out to the language or food or, or feelings about our bodies. And um, it's... It, there's something really, really powerful about wherever, I mean, whether it's you know, puberty or um, getting married or having kids or, or menopause, changing years, and being around people who um, are going through similar things. I think it's really important to have that co-regulation of, like, we're going through some similar stuff. And how can we um, kind of change the narrative that like, like, there's not necessarily something wrong with our bodies being at the stage of life versus everything else we see is pretty much like let's try to do everything we can to fight as if something's wrong versus you know how can we see this as more okay like it doesn't mean that you don't care if your body's changing when you're 50 60 70 whatever it is or after children or whatever it's who says this was wrong in the first place because that battle again is more disembodying as if it's almost like, well, who says there's something wrong? What does my you know, body actually have to show me and to teach me about, you know, what's happening now in this stage of my life? Yeah, exactly. Have that more positive relationship with your body and get curious, I think, before critical, something I say mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you another question. What's somatic nutrition counseling and coaching? Um, what does it have to do with mindfulness? Well, Great. So the somatic part, I've learned over the years that when you're, awesome, it, it was, it came from like I could do all the, the education I wanted. And I work with my population, pretty much all people who, um, you struggle with any kind of sort of relationship with food, body image issues, um, anywhere from like eating disorders and orthorexia just to like, you know, I've been to every diet possible. I'm just done. I'm over it. And what I would find is there would be parts of the population that, like, oh, okay, okay, I can learn to listen to my body. I can neutralize food and learn to listen to my body more and find activities I like to do versus what I think I should do, all that. They get that, got it, good. And then there would be a population that, you know, all the same similar kind of attunement and relational counseling and um, educational stuff. And because the nervous system would be so dysregulated. There was so like the, the struggles with like taking in care, taking in trust, uh, or having trust was so dysregulated 
that sometimes people would just forget. And I recognize there's something different here, and I did a lot of studying. So somatic nutrition counseling comes from this bottom-up approach of, like, if a person can regulate, like, I'm here with you now, and you can drop into that. It felt, felt like then I had more access to help them understand what they needed to happen to move forward, if that makes sense. So it's like, until the body felt safe, they weren't going to learn anything. Yeah, because the body a... was too much in fight or flight. So yeah. I do a lot of beginning of the sessions of like grounding or sometimes people have so much bound up fight or flight. They're doing <laughs> jumping jacks for 10 seconds or they're pushing against the wall or whatever just to kind of like move some of that charge so they can settle and we can do some work. Or maybe they're really like, it's like feeling they see the person might seem really peaceful, but actually just pretty shut down. And so they'll have no idea what we talked about. That's what I started mm-hmm. to see. It's like, oh my goodness, like, there's, we're not really, they're connecting, kind of, and it's, they're not, it's pleasant and it's good, but it's like, they're, it, can't, it can't go in. And so I right. just had to start to use the body. Like, what is my, what is their body saying to me about how safe they felt? Once that, that capacity for safety grew, it's like, oh, now, okay, now they can take in some of this. Right. So that's not, I love it. But how it evolves. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a it's a it's it's definitely I think a a slow burn process that's for sure. Um, yeah. This isn't for anybody that's kind of you know come in and you're like all right let's get her done. This is really taking some time to attune back to yourself. Perfect topic, Tracy, for our mindful listeners attuned to eating. You can find more about Tracy Brown, the registered dietitian, and her work at www.tracybrownrd.com. All right, folks, thank you so much for listening. Until next time. <laughs>